Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Thanks for tuning into the Activate podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Joining me today is Pastor Christian, founder and lead pastor of Journey Church International in Lee Summit, Missouri. My name is Brandon, and today we'll be having an extended conversation from this past Sunday's message. We are in the second week of a new series called The Lamb, Making Sense of Easter. And in this series, we're learning more about the person of Jesus as the Lamb of God. Pastor Christian, before we jump into your message from Sunday, let's talk for a moment about Easter here at uh, JCI. We will be offering eight services over the weekend in two locations. Um, Outside of what the message of Easter represents to us as Christians, why do we as a church make a really big deal about Easter weekend? Well, I mean, the Bible makes a really big deal about Easter. I mean, it really, it is, it is the focal point. You know, if you were to say, what's the focal point of Scripture between Genesis and Revelation, it would not just be Jesus, but it would be the fact that Jesus proved that he was God by raising from the dead. The Apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians that if Jesus did everything that he did, but did not raise from the dead, then Christians were pitiful people. He, he literally said, we above every person on earth should be pitied the most. If Jesus did everything that history says he did, but he didn't raise from the, from the dead, then we literally have no, no hope. And he says our faith is in vain. So just the fact that the event happened and we can celebrate it, I mean, that makes Easter a really, really big deal. But for us, we say Easter is really about two things. One, Easter is about outreach. Uh, Easter is the best opportunity to bring friends who might not personally know Jesus in a way that has deeply impacted their soul, people who are aware of Jesus but they don't follow Jesus, people who see themselves as spiritual but not Christians, people who think they might be religious but not Christians, and then those who consider themselves unspiritual, irreligious, maybe even atheistic, they like to celebrate American holidays. So the fact that we have a good opportunity to invite people uh, in our families, uh, that we have friendships with, that we work with, that are that are friends and neighbors, the fact that we have the opportunity to invite them to celebrate what for us is the most spiritual moment of the, you know, in the history of the world, the most spiritually important moment in the history of the world, um, but something they might say yes to because it's a holiday they may celebrate, but they don't know how to celebrate it other than going to church and they don't know where to go to church, just gives us a great opportunity. Easter is about outreach, but for us, Easter is all about understanding Jesus, and the more we understand Jesus, uh, the more we can be impacted by Jesus. So Easter in this season for us, especially in this series, The Lamb, uh, is really introducing us to Jesus and some of the spiritual importance in his life that maybe people weren't even aware of yet. And we are really looking forward to Easter, especially in light of this series. So let's jump into your message from Sunday, and I actually want to start at the end, if I can. Um, you spent a great deal of your message teaching us about sin. Uh, unfortunately, um, there are a lot of churches that have a hard time actually even mentioning the word sin. Can you explain again why it's so important that especially for you, to preach on sin. Sure. Well, let me say, no one likes to preach on sin, right? And no no one wants to True. hear about sin. But here's the deal. If you don't know about sin, then you can't learn about grace. Uh, and if you don't think sin is bad, you can't think Jesus is good. I mean, it's, it's just the reality. So you have to learn about sin so you can have an appreciation for Jesus, not just his perfection, not just his sinlessness, but the, but the fact that, that he took our punishment for sin. 
So if you really want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to have an appreciation for Jesus, if you want to understand grace, you have to understand sin. Uh, I can't say why churches do or don't preach about sin. I think a lot of churches don't want people to feel bad about sin. And listen, I, I get that. No one shows up on Sunday wanting to feel bad about anything. But if you don't feel bad about sin, you can't feel good about Jesus. So the reality is you have to preach all of the truth or none of the truth. Uh, Jesus taught us about sin, uh, and Jesus became an offering for sin. So he passed all the tests perfectly because he was born without original sin, which we talked about, um, which which means when he was tempted in all ways, just like as we are, uh, he didn't have any sins of commission. He didn't have any sins that he actively committed. He didn't have any sins of omission. He didn't have anything he should have done but didn't. He perfectly fulfilled his mission in life by following all the commandments of God. And not only did he pass the test perfectly, but then he paid the price sufficiently. He died the death that sin demands. So do I want to make people feel bad about sin? No. Do I want to make people feel good about Jesus? Yes. So I have to teach them about sin so they can have an appreciation of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Uh, You mentioned that we know so much more about Jesus today than they did 2,000 years ago. Help us understand by what you meant by that statement. Yeah, so we started the text in Mark chapter 2, right? Jesus forgives a guy of his sins, and everyone says, who does this guy think that he is? Who can forgive sins but God? And it says Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, hey, that's, that's a great point. Who can forgive sins but God? Actually, I can't even prove that I forgave this guy's sins. But so you know that I have supernatural ability. So you know that I am God. It's one of the greatest passages in Scripture where Jesus claims to be the Messiah. So you know that I am God. I'm going to heal this guy because I can prove that I can do that. And when I do that, you'll know that I can also forgive sins. That would have been a huge moment in the town of Capernaum 2,000 years ago when Jesus did that because they didn't know what we know about Jesus because we have uh, we have the opportunity of hindsight, right? We have four biographers of the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, writing the story of Jesus. Uh, and we have, you know, 2,000 years of Hebrew scripture that point towards Jesus. I mean, just a few years ago, you know, by biblical standards, 40, 50 years ago, they uncovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and they found the oldest, basically the oldest Hebrew written documents of the Old Testament. Almost every Old Testament document was recovered. It matches what we have in our Bible today. And what's the Old Testament talk about? It talks about the deliverance of the world through a Savior. More than 300 prophecies about who the Messiah would be, written by men who never met each other, most of them who didn't even live at the same time as one another, just what God told them about who the Messiah would be. And when you piece all of these things together, Jesus was him. We can go back now and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can piece all the facts of his life together, and we can say, wow, that's him. That's the guy that the Hebrew Bible, what we know as the Old Testament in Christianity, that's the guy that God had been promising all along. Uh, And it really couldn't have been anyone but Jesus. I mean, a couple guys a few years ago, you said this in your message last summer when we were teaching on the Apostles' Creed, they looked at all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, and they pulled 60 of the major prophecies out of the 300 big ones, like where he would be born, where he would die, when he would be born, what he would do in his life. And they said that the the probability of one person, one person in history, completing even eight of those 60 prophecies would be the same probability 
of finding a lost silver dollar in the state of Texas, but even a little harder. They said if you covered the face of the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, and then you reached down and you found the one that was marked with a blue Sharpie, you had the same probability of doing that as one person in history fulfilling even eight of the 60 major prophecies of Jesus. And he fulfilled all of them. The probability is one to 10 with 17 zeros behind it. It's a number I don't even know how to pronounce, and you probably have to be a a PhD-level mathematics major to even say what that number is, one to 10 with 17 zeros behind it. So we know now that Jesus is the guy the Old Testament said he would be. They didn't know that then. So Jesus had to come with signs. He had to come with wonders. He had to come with statements like, yeah, only God can forgive sin. And I just did that. What does that tell you about me? Only God can physically heal a man who's been on a sick bed for decades. But I did that too. So what does that tell you about me? So we have the, we have the ability to have hindsight to look at everything the Old Testament says the Messiah would be, to look at Jesus and say, wow, that was him, and then to read narratives like this from history where Jesus forgave sin, where Jesus claimed to be God, where Jesus supernaturally healed people. So it's a lot easier for us to look at Jesus and know he was the Messiah, is the Messiah now, probably than it was for people who were just spectators uh, then. They would have had to follow his life very, very closely um, and be impacted by his ministry very, very deeply to have the faith to believe that before they saw him die and raise from the dead, which is to where today's story was set before Jesus died and raised from the dead. And that's so powerful. It only helps strengthen our faith for today. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. Uh, again, on Sunday, you helped us make a connection of from something in the Old Testament to the person of Jesus. You talked specifically about the bronze basin from the Israelite tabernacle. Help us understand the use and the significance of the bronze basin in the tabernacle for the Israelites. Yeah, so the Israelites, as, as we talked about, right, we walked the 10 and a half month journey from Passover to what I called presence. Uh, the ten plagues on Egypt allowed the people of Israel to know, wow, our God is really, really strong. The distinction in those plagues allowed the people of Israel to think, wow, God is really, really caring, like he loves us. Then then he took them out. And for ten and a half months, you know, they, they kind of sat at the, the mountain called Sinai wondering what was next. And their request to God was, we want you to be with us. Like, we're sc- we would be scared if you brought us out here to leave us alone. We would be freaked out of our mind. God at one point even told Moses, you guys go ahead. Um, you'll get there, but I'm not going with you. Moses said, if you won't go, then we're not leaving. Like we, we're attached to you, but we need to see your glory. We need to know you're with us. We, we, we need a tangible way to know you're in our midst. It's the only thing that gives us hope every night when we go to bed and every day when we get up in the morning. So God gave them this tabernacle, this pattern of the heavenly sanctuary that allowed us to understand the holiness of God, that allowed us to understand the provision of God, that allows us to understand uh, the power of God. And in the middle of this tabernacle is this bronze basin. It was the first place the priests would go every day when they got to the tabernacle. It was the last place they would go every day when they left the tabernacle. Why? Because the priests had to start each day and end each day with a sacrifice of a lamb, right? The series is called the lamb. So we saw Jesus last week as the Passover lamb. Today we're looking at Jesus as the daily lamb. Every day they would start with the sacrifice of a lamb. They couldn't sacrifice the lamb till they washed their hands. And then after they sacrificed the lamb, they couldn't go into the tabernacle 
to worship, to commune with God, to, to be around God's presence until they wash their hands. So central to this whole thing is this little bronze basin that we're told was made of the mirrors that the women brought out of Egypt. So you see this little bronze basin that is, you know, this that is a mirror that when you walk up to and you look at it, you would see the surroundings. And you would see, you know, as you looked at the bronze basin, you would see the the altar of sacrifice on one side of it, kind of in the reflection. You would see the tabernacle on the other side. I'm sure you would see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire above it. Like you would be reminded every time you looked at it, the presence of God is right here. And then you would look in it and you would think, wow, the presence of God is right here with me. And when you're looking at two pictures at one time, you know, every now and then, um, I'll have the opportunity to look at a picture of me in college and a picture of me now. And it's like, whoa, like what happened, right? Like where did all the weight come from and where did all the hair go? It's like one's coming, one's going, but in the wrong direction. You're, you're looking at a good picture and a bad picture simultaneously. That's what it would have been like every morning when they arrived and they went to wash their hands. They would have seen themselves reflected directly against the glory of God, and they would have thought, man, I'm not, like, I'm not worthy to stand before God. But God says, if you sacrifice a lamb for sin, for atonement, to cover up, you know, the ugly sin that is your life, then you can come into the tabernacle, and we can have fellowship together. So you see this reflection of you against God, and you think, wow, I, you know, I'm not worthy. But God allows you to be. Then you go back to wash your hands again, and you, you once again you see the glory of God and you see yourself, but now you see yourself covered with blood, um, not your blood, the blood of a lamb, and you realize the price that has to be paid before you can go and connect with God. And when you understand that basin, if we would start every day of our lives um, with a picture of us and a picture of Jesus, we'd see how much we needed Jesus. If we could start our life every day um, with a with a picture of who Jesus has become to us, blood on our hands, right? The the blood on the cross that allows us to worship God. All of a sudden, every morning, every night, we'd have this heavy realization of who Jesus was, what he meant to us. Uh, We'd have a great reason why he needed to be in our life and a great reflection of what sin demanded and Jesus did for us. All in this little, what looked like a birdbath, you know, the, the title of our message, Sinks and Mirrors. It was a little sink it was also a mirror. It was a place to wash your hands that you could see yourself and God in at the exact same time. Uh, it was the greatest mirror, mirror on the wall that there could have ever been because it showed you you in relationship to God and how that gap got bridged through the blood of a lamb. Well, speaking of reflection, let's let's talk for a minute uh, about reflection of sin in our own lives. Um, we often play the comparison game when it comes to sin. Uh, we we may say things like, well, compared to that individual, compared to that guy, I'm not half bad. Um, talk to us for a minute the, the, uh, about the statement you made in your message that said this, many people judge themselves against the worst of humanity rather than the best of Jesus. What What can we do to shift to a proper perspective of sin in our own life? I think we have to understand who Jesus is, right? We said the you know, the standard of sin is set by the standard of righteousness. That biblical word sin means to miss the mark. There is a target of perfection, and it's not you, and it's not me. And I I actually have never met anyone who claims to be perfect. I've never met anyone who claims to be perfect. I've never met anyone who claims to be as perfect as Jesus. I have met a lot of people who very correctly claim to be better than the worst of society, 
They are. They're, I mean, they're right. They are, by the standards of society, they're good people. By the standards of the world, they might be great people. But our standard is not the world. And our standard is not broken society. Our standard is Jesus. And when compared to Jesus, we miss the mark. Sin is this big word that sounds so offensive. But when you just think about the definition, it means missing them. What is sin? It's being less perfect than Jesus. Who would line up and say, well, yeah, that's me. I mean, you know, who wouldn't line up to say, that's me. I am less perfect than Jesus. I might be better than everyone else at my school. I might be better than everyone else at my job. I may be the best Christian in my family, but I am less perfect than Jesus. When we begin to study and understand the perfection and holiness of Jesus, when we see ourselves contrasted against Jesus, instead of, right, we, we brought up the names of the, the worst of society in our message. Compared to them, pretty good people. But God doesn't ask us to be compared to them. God asks us to be compared to Jesus. Remember Jesus' standard, Matthew five forty eight. Just be perfect like I'm perfect. That's all it takes. All it takes to have a relationship with God is to be as perfect as Jesus. And everyone will say, well, that's impossible. You're right. So you've got to rely on him. So having a standard of righteousness, that is Jesus instead of yourself, right? We, we like to start with ourself and measure everyone against us. Don't do that. Start with Jesus. Measure yourself against him and pursue in faith who he is, how he wants you to live your life. And when you realize there's a gap, accept his grace, accept his forgiveness, um, you know, and, and let him be the bridge that connects your shortcomings to all of God's fulfillment in your life. So, Pastor Christian, let's end with the beginning of your message. You started your message with the narrative from Mark chapter 2, where Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. Uh, He not only physically healed the man, but he also forgave his sins, proving that he truly was the Son of God. What would you say to the individual listening today that might be thinking, there is no way that God would ever forgive me? Yeah, so I'm going to answer this question, but I need the listener to hang with me through the entire answer. Sure. Because it starts out rough. So don't hear the beginning and turn it off. Here's what I would say to someone that thinks there's no way that God could forgive me. Here's what you need to understand. Your sin is worse than you think. Your sin is worse than you think, and your sin deserves a harsher punishment than you would choose. Your sin is worse than you think, and it deserves a harsher punishment than you would choose. But God's love is bigger than you think. And God's love forgives bigger than you would, bigger than you can imagine. So when you look at two facts that my sin is worse than I think, but God's love is bigger than I can even imagine, the answer, the end of that equation, your sin is bigger than you think, but God's love is bigger than you think, is grace. That's where grace comes in and says, only by Jesus, only by the Lamb of God can my sin be forgiven. Right? God said sin deserves death, the little ones and the big ones. So we're all more sinful than we think, and we, we all face the consequence and eternal death away from God through sin. But because of Jesus, whose love is so much bigger than we could imagine, and who paid the price in the perfect way so that we wouldn't have to, only through Jesus and his grace um, can we have a relationship with God. But we're invited to. It's offered to us. It's there. Your sin is worse than you think, but God's love is bigger than you think. So all you have to do is repent of your sin and say, I'm sorry, um, and accept God's grace and begin to follow Jesus. Live your life in comparison to him. Get on mission with him and let him forgive your past and secure your eternity with his love, 
which is greater than you could ever imagine. Your sin could never be greater than God's love. It's great, but it's not even close to God's love. So embrace and accept that today. Pastor Christian, thank you for that encouragement today. And we want to thank you, uh, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, we pray that our conversation today was helpful to you. And if we can encourage you in any way, send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc and we'll follow up with you via email. Um, We'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast as we count down to Easter Sunday and we celebrate Jesus. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Also, if you have enjoyed this podcast, help us get the word out and show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. Please share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.